You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. How many of you remember playing the telephone game as a kid? You guys remember that? Right? It's where you uh, whisper a message into the ear of the person beside you, and then they whisper it to the next person, to the next person, and it goes all the way around to the end of the room. But what happens is the message that you started with on this side almost never ends up the same when it's finished. Am I right? For example, if I started over here and I said, Eric went to the chiropractor today because his back was hurting. If that was the message we started with, and y'all whispered, whispered all the way through, and it got to this end, it would probably end up something like, Eric flew a helicopter today and went to Turkey. You hear the difference there? Two completely different messages. Now, this is a fun game to play when the message doesn't matter. But when we have something important to share, we cannot rely on the telephone game. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the message of Jesus is the most important message of all. The message of Jesus is the most important message of all. And if we are all in, it is our job to go and tell the world about him. So this morning, as we wrap up our All In series, we're going to retrace Jesus' steps through the book of Matthew, and we're going to find out three very important uh, questions to the most important message. We're going to find out three very important questions about the most important message. And because I've got a lot to say, we're going to jump right in. You can take some notes on your outline if you want to. Kids can color on their coloring sheets or they can talk out loud with me. I'm going to have a lot of audience participation today. It's going to be fun. Are you all ready? All right, here we go. So the first important question that we must ask is this. What message did Jesus share? What message did Jesus share? I'm going to read three short passages from Matthew, and I want you to pay attention and listen for a reoccurring theme. Here we go. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So what's the reoccurring theme? Huh? The good news of the kingdom. That's exactly right. Jesus came to share the good news of the kingdom of heaven and what we must do to get there. I want to say it again. Jesus came to share the good news about the kingdom of heaven and what we must do to get there. He came from heaven to earth. He knows there's a better way. He knows that there's an eternal destination for every single person who has ever lived. He knows that there's a home in heaven for all of those who repent and believe in him. That's the message Jesus came to preach. The kingdom is where God is right now along with Jesus and the angels. It is a place of peace and joy and serenity and security and perfection. This is the kingdom that is to come. It's not the one that we're currently living in that has pain and suffering and sorrow and tears. God's kingdom will not be shaken regardless of what Satan and his demons try to do to destroy it. Heaven is where God desires you and I to be forever with him. 
Now, during Jesus' three years of ministry on this earth, he talked about all that we need to know about the kingdom of heaven. He shared attitudes and behaviors that you and I should exhibit if we expect to spend time with him forever. And that comes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm not going to recap all that, but I want to encourage you as a family this week, spend some time reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of good, good things in there. Later on, someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They said, teacher, what's the most important thing that we need to do while we are alive? And here's his response. Matthew 22, I want you to read this with me. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to simplify that for you. Four words. Love God, love people. Look at your neighbor and tell them, love God, love people. Again, love God, love people. That is the most important thing that we can do. But Jesus also shared with them that you know what? This earth isn't all there is. There is a life after this. And that if we want to be united with God in his kingdom, we must go through Jesus. He spoke these words, John 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. The way to get to heaven is by placing our faith in Jesus. Regardless of what you hear, regardless of what your coworkers may talk about, regardless, kids, of what your teachers will teach you in school, there is no other religious leader or public figure that can get you to heaven. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius, not the Dalai Lama, not Oprah, not Ellen DeGeneres. There is nobody that can get you to heaven except for Jesus. He's the only one that died, that came back to life, and that defeated death and the grave. Ultimately, Jesus came to share the good news about the kingdom of heaven and what we must do to get there. Here's the next big question. Why? Why did Jesus choose to die telling us this message? Two reasons. First of all, it's because he wanted to save the lost. He wanted to save the lost. Luke 19 verse 10, very short verse, it says this. Read it out loud. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's very clear, isn't it? That's why he came. That's why he shared this message. He came to seek and save the lost. And then he reiterates this a little bit later. In Matthew 9, he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. Here's the deal. We must realize that we have all been lost in our sin. And Austin did a good job setting this up in the communion meditation, the fall, Genesis chapter 3. All of us have broken God's rules. We have rebelled against him. Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So understand, first and foremost, that Jesus came to save you because you have been lost in your sin. It starts with you. Jesus came to save you because you have been lost. And if you are here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins and, and confessed to everyone else that you want him as your Lord and Savior, and if you've never been baptized, you're still lost. That is something 
that you can absolutely can and should change before this message is over. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to respond at the end. So we know that Jesus is the remedy for sin. Only through Jesus do we receive salvation. So understand that Jesus shared because he wanted to save the lost. Secondly, here's why he shared. Because he wants to make disciples who make disciples. Matthew 4.19 is a verse that has impacted me greatly over the last uh, three to four years because I was not doing a good job of this at all. And I want to teach you this is what I've learned uh, it's very simple. I've taught it in the discipleship class, but this is what we talk about. Matthew 4, 19. It's an easy verse to memorize. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Say it with me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So this breaks down into three parts. Head, heart, hands. Follow me is the head. That is making a conscious decision that you believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he did what he said he did. You put your faith in Jesus. That's where it starts, in the head. And once we do that, once we follow him, as we are following him, he changes our hearts. I will make you. It is an internal heart change. He's not only saved us from our sins, but he's also given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who is living inside of every believer. And the more that we obey what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, the more we look like Jesus, the more we change to become like him. Follow me as the head, and I will make you as the heart. Fishers of men, that's our hands, right? So here's a good old fishing pole. It's my kid's first fishing pole. Spider-Man, you guys remember this? Anybody have a fishing pole like this right now? Yeah, I see a couple hands up, more than first service. So, right, we don't fish with our feet, do we? Nope. We don't fish with our feet, we don't fish with our head, we don't fish with our heart, we fish with our what? Our hands. Now I understand that the disciples back in Jesus' day did not have a Spider-Man fishing pole. They used a casting net. The idea is still the same. They used their hands for effort. We have to actually put into practice what we're learning in God's word. The head and the heart change. We have to do something about it. We have to make disciples that make disciples. That's why Northside's mission is to love God, serve others, and win one. That is what we are about because that is what Jesus was about. And we want every single person who walks through these doors to understand that message. That's what our job is. So... Now that we know what Jesus shared, the good news about the kingdom of heaven and what we must do to get there, now that we know why he shared it, to save the lost and to make disciples who make disciples, the biggest question is, what do we do about it? What is our response? When you look at Jesus' life and the lives of the disciples, the answer becomes very clear. There are two things that are critical for you and I as believers in Jesus to do. First, our job is to look for the lost ourselves. We have to look for the lost. There's a story in Matthew chapter 21. The disciples and Jesus, they are moving from one town to another town. They're preaching, they're, they're evangelizing, they're sharing the good news, and they are very hungry between towns as they're on their trip. And in Matthew 21, they come across a fig tree that is full of leaves but it doesn't have a single fig on it. And Jesus, he gets upset with this fig tree. He condemns the fig tree, and immediately it withers and it dies. 
Now, what I want you to understand is that Jesus didn't condemn that fig tree because he was, or because it was too young. He didn't condemn the fig tree because it was too old, or because it was too ugly, or because it didn't know enough. He condemned the fig tree because it didn't produce fruit. And that fruit as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus that you and I should be producing is pointing the lost to him, is pointing the lost to Jesus. So I challenge you to do what Jesus did and look for the lost. In order to do that, in order to look for the lost, we have to change our perspective. We cannot look at things from an earthly perspective. We have to look at things from an eternal perspective. And please understand that Christians are no better than non-Christians. The difference is that Christians have recognized their need for a Savior. They've swallowed their pride, and they've asked for Christ to save them. This world hangs by a thread, and at any moment, before I finish this message, Jesus could leave heaven, he could come back, he could part the sky right now. And when he does that, every person who has ever lived and those who are alive today, we will go to one of two places, heaven or hell. And if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, then your destination is hell. So that is why sharing our faith is so important. I've told you this before. I'll say it again. Choice, not chance, determines where we spend eternity. Choice. People have the option to choose whether they accept or reject Christ, but for them to choose that option, they have to hear about it. They have to hear the gospel presented to them. They have to know who Jesus is. And it's important to understand this. People do not need to be told that they're going to hell. They don't need to be told they're going to hell. They need to be shown how to get to heaven. Big difference. And that's where you and I come in. In addition to looking for the lost, our second and last responsibility is to go and tell the good news. We have to go and tell the good news. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, he's taught and he's trained the disciples. He sends them out and he says this, as you go, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. There's the kingdom again. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. I want to teach you a little bit of Greek here. That word proclaim is the word kiriso. Kiriso. You got to roll your R. Say it with me. All right. Kiriso. Proclaim. It simply means to share openly. It means to preach. It means to tell someone something. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to debate or to argue. And I've seen too many Christians debate and argue over useless things. That is not what we are called to do. We are called to preach, to share openly our faith, this good news about the kingdom that is to come. We're called to so with others. In his book titled, Follow Me, David Platt writes this. He says, disciples of Jesus know that he is not merely a personal Lord and Savior, worthy of someone's individual approval. Disciples of Jesus know that he is the cosmic Lord and Savior, worthy of everyone's eternal praise. So disciples of Jesus can't help but make disciples of all nations. If we truly believe Jesus' words and if we know Jesus' worth, 
then we are compelled to be part of this task. So essentially, David makes the point that yes, Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. In fact, that's that confession that we make when we give our lives to Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my personal Lord and Savior. What we must understand is that this should not be a private encounter. It should be a public declaration and explanation to everyone that we come into contact with. Sadly, that's not the norm. In fact, the opposite is true. There are still a lot of people coming to Christ today in 2019, soon to be 2020. But it's happening through the work of a few. The Barner Research Group shared a statistic a few years ago that really rocked my world and that caused me to shift my perspective of what Jesus' purpose was and what Matthew 4.19 means. And it's this. The typical believer will die without leading a single person to a life-saving relationship with Jesus. Let that sink in. The typical believer will die without ever saving a lost person. There have been other research groups since then that have done more research, and they've actually put a number to this. That number is 95%. 95% of the Christians sitting in this room will die without ever saving a lost soul. Friends, that must change. Jesus didn't die so that only you would be in heaven with him. He died for you and for everyone else, so that one day all of us could be in heaven. It reminds me of that old hymn we used to sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. It doesn't say, when I get to heaven, I'll sing and shout the victory. It says, when we all, but in order to do that, we've got to tell others about Jesus. Jesus told us this in Matthew 5, 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what's this passage tell us? Because we have been saved, because we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, we are the light of the world, and we must let our light, which is our salvation in Christ, shine. So let me ask, how bright is your light? Are you actually shining it in the darkness? Maybe you think to yourself, well, look, Eric, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that Jesus saved me. Like, I really am, but I just... I just can't tell others about him because I'm afraid of what they may think of me. I'm afraid that they may label me a Jesus freak, and I don't want that. Like, I, Eric, I'm so glad that Jesus saved me from my sins, but I am too afraid to tell someone that they're wrong and that they need to change their way of living and that they need to repent and they need to believe just like I believe. Or, Eric, you know, I just don't have that outgoing personality. I simply can't. Maybe you can't, but the Holy Spirit can through you if you let him, if you choose to be obedient and follow his lead. Whether you're an introverted 
or, or extroverted, extroverted personality, whether you're shy or outgoing, whether you are a good public speaker or better one-on-one, -on -one, choose to shine your light bright for Christ because he can use all types of light for him. So here's the deal. Don't get afraid. I got my light on here. Here's the deal. Light, the whole purpose of light is to dismiss the darkness. That's the purpose of light. It is to dismiss and dispel the darkness. And as I look around this room, I see hundreds and hundreds of lights for Jesus. Hundreds of people who have placed their faith in him, who have crossed that line and said, I am a Christian. And that is amazing. But I need you to understand something. Your light is not needed in this room. This is not where your light is needed. Your light is needed out there, outside of these four walls, in the darkness. So please, choose to shine your light for Christ. Dispel and dismiss the darkness in your schools. Dismiss the darkness in your teams. Dismiss the darkness at your job. Dismiss the darkness in your neighborhoods. Dismiss the darkness in your homes. Choose to shine your light bright for Christ. In other words, pick up a fishing pole and cast a line to the lost. Cast a line to the lost because you've already been equipped with everything you need. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you have your transformation story. Whatever that is, mine is different from yours, but we all have a story and nobody can tell us that our story is wrong. Right, so you have how Jesus, the life you lived before Jesus, how he's changed you, and now how you're living for him. You share that story. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you boldness and opportunities daily to share that with others. All you have to do is pick up the fishing pole, pick up your flashlight, and shine your light bright. Pastor and author Jim Putman, he wrote this. The church was not designed to be a group of spectators who attend weekly lectures. It was designed to be a trained army with a powerful message. All believers are the messengers who bring the message to others and then continue in that process of discipling those who believe. In this same tone, Francis Chan, he writes this challenge to church leaders, to me as a church leader. Here's what he says. Let's pray for and become a generation of leaders whose hearts break for the lost and suffering. It's no secret that church buildings are currently full of self-centered people coming to consume. The answer is not just telling them to stop being selfish. Pastors need to engage them in helping the lost and the desperate around the world. So I want you to know that my job, that Robin's job, that Jeff's job, that all of the staff and the elders' job is to engage you the congregation, the church body. We want to engage and equip you to shine your light, to look for lost people, and to go and tell the message of Jesus. That is what we are to do. So what would Northside look like if I did my job, if you did your job, if we were all in on sharing the good news of Jesus? I can promise you that it would make such a huge impact. We would be blown away. In fact, let me illustrate it this way. 
as a pastor, my job is literally to save the lost. That's what I get paid to do, okay? My job is to go out and find lost people and share faith with them and bring them to Christ. Let's say I do my job, and I'm going and I'm finding somebody who's lost, and I'm starting in my own family, all right? I'm starting with Paley, my daughter. Come on, Paley. Come on up. She's a big sinner, and she needs Jesus bad. So... (laughs) So I'm telling her about Jesus, and I'm saying, there's a better way, and I want you to know Jesus. And so she hears what I say. She believes she accepts Christ as her Savior, and I have won one person. Woohoo! Good job. You can clap. Okay. But hold on. Hold the applause, because here's the deal. Stay right there, Paley. Here's the deal. I would probably lose my job if all I could do was save one lost soul. Am I right? Robin was, I don't know if Robin is, he was in here earlier, he agreed, he shook his head. I would, I would lose my job if I could only save one person in a year. So let's say I continue to do my job, and I'm going out, and Nathaniel, I know he's lost as well, he needs Jesus, don't you? Come on up, let's go, let's go. So I'm sharing my faith with Nathaniel, he makes that decision, he puts his faith in Jesus, and now, come on beside Paley, and now he's a Christian, okay? That's great, but I'm competitive, y'all, like, like I yell at the TV and I want to do, I want to be the winner. So I don't want to stop at just two. I'm going to go out and I'm going to keep winning souls for Jesus right here. Come on up, come on up. You need Jesus, don't you? Yeah. Uh, you don't have him yet. You're about to get him. All right. Here we go. All right. So now you got Jesus. I've shared my faith. This is awesome, right? This is good. But you need to understand something. This is not the goal. It's good. But it's not the goal. You see, Jesus did not die. He did not leave heaven and come to earth and die so that I could make converts. He died so that I could make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And there's a big difference. That is where I've seen in my personal ministry where I have lacked until the last three or four years when God's opened my eyes and said, Eric, you're missing the point. This is good. It's good that I can go out and seek the lost and look for the lost, but this is the beginning point. It is now my job to train these three individuals on what Jesus is and what he means and how they can in turn go out and make disciple makers. So now you've been trained. So now I want you guys to go out and get somebody else and start sharing your faith with somebody. So go get somebody, bring them back on the stage. Come on. Act like you're excited about it because Christians should be excited about this. It doesn't matter who picks somebody. Let's roll. Now, here's the deal. I can't sit on my butt and watch them and say, oh, man, I've done a good job. No. Like, we have to do this until the day we die. Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon. So we have to, until we die, make disciples that make disciples. This man right here needs Jesus. Will, come on up. You need Jesus. Let's go. So I'm going to continue to do this process. And all of us, we're meeting together Small groups, one-on-one discipling, that's where discipling takes place, not from the stage. I'm just telling you about it. We actually do it in small groups and in one-on-one. So we're all doing this together, and everybody's going to go out, and we're going to get another person. We're going to keep doing this process. Let's roll. Let's roll. Come on. We're going to get somebody else. Oh, Mr. Shipley, I've heard some stories about you. Brother, I might delay my hands and heal you. Let's go. Come on. You need Jesus. Everybody else is getting someone that needs Jesus. And we keep doing our part. We keep sharing. We keep looking for the lost. We keep going 
pro- proclaiming Kiriso. That is what it is about. Now look at the stage. This, this is how the Acts 2 church grew. With all the persecution, with everything that they were under, this is how they grew. They didn't grow by one person, the pastor, going out and telling someone about Jesus. They grew because they understood it's not just the pastor's job. It is everybody's job who places their faith in Jesus to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Amen? Let's give them a hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Y'all go have a seat. Yes. Multiplication, not addition, is how we grow the kingdom. Multiplication, not addition. So here's my last question. Will you commit to loving God and loving people? That's a yes or no response. Will you commit to loving God and loving people? Yes. Yes. Okay. If you commit to do that, it requires action on your part. I cannot be the only one looking for the lost. It requires you looking and you telling them the good news about Jesus. And together, when we are all in, we can make a huge impact for Christ right here in Wadsworth and Medina. So when you came in this morning, everybody got a ping pong ball. Go ahead and get that out. And I'm going to close with this. I know I'm long-winded today. All right, we got a ping pong ball. I've seen a bunch on the floor. That's cool. You can get those after, after we're done. Pull that out. Here's the deal. Beginning today, we're going to emphasize our goal of looking for the lost and telling the good news by using these. When you came in the lobby, maybe you noticed this big lit-up green fish tank, and here's a picture of it. Maybe you noticed this fish tank. It's got the words, go and tell on it. We're going to use this as a motivation factor for the whole church. Your job and mine is to fill that fish tank with these ping-pong balls. And the way you get to add a ping-pong ball to the fish tank is by sharing your faith with someone who's lost. It may be something as simple as setting up a coffee date and telling them your story about Jesus and saying how Jesus has transformed you and simply just presenting the gospel, who Jesus is, what he did, and what it takes to place our faith in him. Or maybe it's something as simple as inviting somebody to church that doesn't go to church anywhere else. So when you invite someone to church, when you share your faith with someone, I want you to all write their name down on the ball, come back, and put it in the fish tank. Okay? Now I've done the math, I've done the calculation, it takes about 4,000 of these to fill that 40-gallon fish tank. So today we had over 1,000 people in this room, so that would be about four per person, at least. And my challenge, my goal, is that we fill this thing at least one time by Easter. All right, that gives us a few months to do this. I think we can knock it out of the park. Robin already approved. When we fill it, we're going to throw a big party, all right? We're going to throw a big Holy Ghost church party here when we get that thing filled. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we'll figure the details out later. The goal is for you to take your ping pong ball at home, pray over this, think about who you have in your circle of influence, Thank you.
fact, 55% of unchurched people would respond yes if they were simply invited with a personal invitation to attend church. Does that make sense? If you simply had a personal request to an unchurched family member, 55% of them would say yes. Wait, because we 